Diocese of Churches for the Sake of Others is pleased to present the C4SO podcast, a place to celebrate the voices and values of C4SO. C4SO is a national diocese of the Anglican Church in North America led by Bishop Todd Hunter. You can learn more about us at c4so.org. Hello, everybody, and welcome again to the C4SO podcast. I'm your host, Ben Sternke, and I'm here again with, after a week's hiatus, because we couldn't uh, figure out the technology, I'm back again with Bishop Todd Hunter. Okay, so Ben, we got to give our audience a big laugh. Okay. So my last Mac was, I don't know how old, but maybe six, seven years old, and I finally needed a new one. So I got a new Mac Air, I don't know, less than a year ago, six months Uh ago or something. And, you know, the new Apple products, they always have new plugins, and yeah. So if you don't have the right adapters, it doesn't work. So last week where, you know, I was iced in at home That's and right. I didn't have any of my regular gear. But what I didn't realize is that on the right side of my computer is a tiny little plug-in for headphones oh. where I thought I had to use the adapter. So this is just a time for everybody in the audience to yeah. mock their old bishop. So I'm inviting <laughs> mockery. Yeah, that's uh, so. How what a bummer! I really wanted to be on with you and Tisha, and when I couldn't do it, that was a bummer. But yeah, anyway, live and learn. Disappointing not to have you, um, but yes, live and learn. And I I have heard that's Apple's way of kind of making sure that you need to keep buying adapters. Yeah, they sell them Mm -hmm. to you for forty five dollars and that kind of thing. So anyway. Um, well, anyway, it's nice uh, to have you back uh, in your office where you have all the right plugins and adapters. Uh, yeah, and you're not iced in anymore. The weather is warming up here in Indianapolis as well. Um, just a couple things uh, for a preamble here. Um, there's a podcast I listen to that calls this All Your Essential Blurb. It's a British <laughs> podcast. I like the way that they sometimes refer to things. So here's All Your Essential Blurb, uh, listeners. Uh, C4SO, this podcast is releasing on March 1st, and so we just finished up celebrating Black History Month, Um, uh, doing that with some Visio Divina with Laura James Art. Um, We actually did that as a church uh, this past Wednesday morning for morning prayer during Lent. It was a lovely uh, time, so I encourage you to look that stuff up on our blog. Um, We've also been praying collects from Cole Arthur Riley's Black Liturgies Project. We're going to pray one to end our episode today. Uh, You can see those on social media on Twitter and Facebook and such. And then uh, we also have oppor- have uh, had opportunities to invest in black-led churches as well as a reparations initiative that was um, led by St. Mary of Bethany Parish in Nashville. And even though Black History Month is over officially today, um, you can uh, always uh, go back and continue to participate in some of those initiatives. And um, I'm sure that'll be a, a blessing for you if you do so. Uh, Today we're continuing a series that's following our C4SO Reads Book for Lent, which is Prophetic Lament by Soong Chan Ra. And this is something our Revelation 7-9 Task Force for Racial Diversity and Inclusion has organized for our diocese and for anyone else who wants to follow along. Um, One of the goals for the task forces um, for 2021 for the task force was a more holistic participation in God's vision for racial Justice, And the reason we're reading this book together is that a crucial step in this process is lament, which is what this book is all about. It's kind of a walk through lamentations and uh, and, encourage, and some, uh, Ra draws some connections to the American church and our need uh, to engage in the practice for lament. And so today we continue that journey with a conversation with the Reverend uh, Sandy Richter. Hi. 
Yeah, well, it's great to have you. Uh, <laughs> Sandy's you. a member of the Revelation 7-9 Task Force, and she's going to be sharing some reflections from the second part of Ra's book. So welcome. Thank Sandy, you. It's, it's great to have you here. Um, why don't you introduce yourself uh, for uh, to our audience just a bit, people who are unfamiliar with you and what you get up to on any given day. Yeah, so um, I get up to a lot of different things. I feel like I, I juggle many mm-hmm. days, um, and that is because I am a church planter mm-hmm. and a mother of three um, and a wife, and my mom lives with us, and it's just all kinds of good stuff. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, yeah. We're church planting just outside of Chicago in Oak Park, Illinois, and have been on the journey with the core team for just at a year right now. So we're just okay. moving into our second year. So Very good. It's good. What? What? Uh, this isn't part of. This, I'm just curious. But what? What do you get up to as a core team? What? What does that mean right now? Just being on a journey with a core team. Yeah. Um, in the last year, it meant just establishing our relationships with each other. And then also discerning what we felt like was um, our particular call in this time. And of course, in 2020, to be planting a church, we were very aware of the fact that that meant we needed to be paying attention to what was happening in the world and how that affected our neighborhood and what gifts God had given us to sort of bring those things together. So Mm. we're still discerning that. and that's a lot of what our core team meetings are about. But then we've also started opening it up. So we have monthly Compline services. We are reading Prophetic Lament together. Um, so we've invited people beyond our core team as well. So it's kind of that's a mix great. of continuing to establish and discern and then yeah. also opening up the opportunities for other people to join us in doing yeah. that. Yeah, that's really great. Um, you know, there's, there's a lot could be said about the challenges of planting a church in 2020. Mm-hmm. Um, with the pandemic and everything, but I think um, it's it seems like a really wise approach to say we can't ignore some of the new awareness of racial injustice and all yeah. that kind of thing. You know, for and I think increasingly leaders of churches like you, you need to be able to talk about this. You need yeah. to be able to have a, have a handle on this stuff. Just to ignore it is to send a message. You mm-hmm. know, and so That's I think right. it strikes me as really wise uh, for you to begin in that place and mm. say we need to address these things head on, um, mm. trusting you know that God's at work uh, in our yeah. midst. Um, this isn't just a machine you crank up. Um, this right. is a discernment process. So mm-hmm. it's awesome, yeah. Sandy. Maybe we Thanks. could have you on another time to talk more about the church plan. I find my mind oh. is actually <laughs> getting really curious about what you're doing. <laughs> Thank you. Um, but anyway, our topic for today is not that. <laughs> it is a prophetic lament, specifically the second uh, section called Lamentations 2, where Ra kind of um, uh, opens up uh, Lamentations 2 and makes some connections to the modern American church. Mm. Um, we could start with this. Um, uh, in your reflection uh, on this, y- you reflected on the options that Israel had in mm. the face of the destruction of Jerusalem, and you uh, characterized these as triumphalism or lament. And yeah. So, you know, the historical context is Jerusalem's been destroyed, the people are in exile, and the options that uh, seem to be presented to Israel are triumphalism or lament. Um, maybe you, can you just outline the difference between these two options and why is it that triumphalism seems so attractive to us? Mm, yeah. Well, Ra really captured my imagination um, as far as these two options. And I find myself just continuing to think about that. Um, triumphalism, I think on the one hand, pretending that everything's okay. I think mm. that's a big part of it. Um, I think not 
wanting to acknowledge suffering, either our own suffering or the suffering in the world around us or the suffering that we've inflicted on others. Mm. Um, And what really caught my imagination is when he talked about how the false prophets of Israel um, after you know, they were taken into captivity that they kept saying, oh, everything's going to be okay. Oh, it's, you know, we're about to to be on top again. And that that was the message that was false and that was poisonous to the mm. nation. Yeah. And I just feel, I feel deep resonance with that just personally, but also as a church. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I think triumphalism on the one hand, either... Um, silences our own suffering or silences the suffering of others and pretends like everything's okay. Mm. Um, And then on the other hand, lament just is honest, uh, Mm. which is why I think this is so appropriate for Lent, where we just get to say the truth about what's wrong in the world. Mm. And we get to bring that to the Lord and say, we need help. Um, And so I just think the postures um, of either powering up or coming with open hands are kind of the ways that I envision the triumphalism versus lament. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot, there's a lot there. Um, so just, um, just being willing to, to say what's wrong and to, and to sort of deal realistically with it is the first uh, step of lament. And it's interesting that triumphalism, like it, it, it's almost like it can be rooted like, you know, you say the word false prophet and you kind of think of like a nefarious evil person. Mm. But I think oftentimes our triumphalism is not rooted in like a desire to cause harm or hurt, mm. but it's actually mm-hmm. rooted in this desire to encourage or to make people feel better, yeah. you know? And so we kind of reach for these encouraging phrases. We reach for, it's yeah. going to be okay and everything's going to be fine, that kind of a thing. But yeah. um, the effect of it is to silence the voice of suffering and to silence our own suffering yeah. Uh, which isn't a helpful thing for us to do. It's sort of, sort of like it, in reaching for hope, we actually we actually offer false hope. Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah. I've actually been, I don't have fully formed thoughts on this, but I've been really curious about the way that uh, many Christians talk about hope and lament. Like if you talk about lament too much, they're afraid that you've forgotten about hope. And yeah. I think that that belies really a misunderstanding of hope. Mm. Hope is not propositional. Hope can't be forced. I think hope is organic and it springs Mm. forth from us. You know, the idea that as we endure, hope bubbles up. And so I think actually we lose out on true hope if we don't go through the process of lament. Yeah. I almost have this picture. Oh, sorry. um, Yeah, I'll just say this and then I want to hear what you um, want to ask there. But I almost have this picture of hope, like we we want to be able to control hope. We want mm-hmm. to sort of obtain it, have it, use it, have it as a possession that I can yeah. like distribute to people when they're feeling yeah. sad. Uh, but you're you're painting this picture of hope as something that we have to wait for. Mm-hmm. Hope is something that God gives as a gift. Hope is something we have to um, let grow out of the yeah. soil. Hope is something that might come to us unexpectedly. Hope is something mm. we can't really get our hands around mm. ahead of time. We can't mm-hmm. control it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really profound. So Sandy, when I was thinking about you, the way you characterize triumphalism, you talked about it being at least sometimes, you know, militaristic, mm. almost always involving some sort of misunderstanding or misuse of power. Yeah. Um, you know, how it often leads to a culture of violence. And then on the other hand, as we've been talking about lament, you know, that's more marked by things like mourning 
and mm. grief and repentance, you know, by naming reality. And the thought that hit me is like, why would any sane person pick lament? Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like if you had a choice, yeah. like on what basis <laughs> would someone choose the path of lament? And and that thought led me to what would be the underlying vision mm. that would make someone choose grief versus misuse of power mm. or mourning versus militarism mm. or, you know, controlling via violence. I just felt like that was a, um, a really deep thing mm. that, mm-hmm. um, because we do make choices based on rationales. Yeah. And um, yeah. you have to have like a completely different worldview, I think, yeah. to choose lament. Yeah. You know, for me, I think that's so interesting the way you phrase that. I think for me in my own life, uh, what led me to choose lament was recognizing that the other paths didn't actually work, that they didn't actually mm. give yeah. me what I was hoping that yep. they might. Yeah. And um, that became a real grace. Um, hmm. And living in the... It was like a better path because lament resonates with actual experience. And mm-hmm. <clears throat> and then it does actually produce hope, you know? So it's a longer process. It's a different kind of work. But yeah, I do think for me, it started with that sense of, oh, this, this doesn't actually, a disorientation about what triumphalism has to offer. Yeah. It's sort of, it's got a nice shiny package, mm-hmm. but like once you, once you get it or once you start using it or try to live in it, you realize like, oh, this is empty. This doesn't actually give yeah. me what I thought it was going to give me. It sort of functions as an idol then, right? It's yeah. kind of the classic teaching on idols is that we, mm. you know, they, they promise life yeah. and then we worship them and then they don't give us life. And so it's, it's like this empty promise. And even more than that, right, it harms us. So mm. I think the, yes. the ways that we become um, overly connected to uh, these systems of power end up harming us, right? Either yes. they silence parts of ourselves. I mean, that yes. makes us sick, you know, or they silence mm. others and we see that we've caused them pain. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I think that's another yeah, part of it. Yeah, that's really profound. Yeah, just heartbreaking to think that in efforts to secure ourselves, or as you were talking, Sandy, mm. to give ourselves sort of force, kind of a false mm. hope, misusing power, just it's just so heartbreaking to think that we actually then end up even mm. inadvertently contributing to the culture of violence. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Mm. That's, why, that's why this is so important, I think. Um, and, you know, just speaking of the church in 2020 and you know, confronting racial injustice, all of this kind of thing. This is why it's so important is because that's, that's where like this triumphalism has actually led us is to silence uh, the experience, you know, of, of others, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, I, I wonder if you could, um, you know, one of the things that you reflected on uh, from this part of the book was that um, this triumphalism, as Ra connects it to American Christianity, he connects it to privilege and exceptionalism. Mm. Um, and, and says that the American church is tempted towards this similar path that Israel was tempted towards in terms of their mm-hmm. temptation towards um, uh, triumphalism. Can, can you lay this out? Like, what, what do you mean by privilege and exceptional, exceptionalism? Mm-hmm. Um, and where do we see that maybe present uh, in the American, especially the white American church right now? Yeah. Oh, he has so many good and hard-hitting things to say about this. Yes. Um, 
I think at at the core, the metaphor that's just really a low hanging fruit is America, the white American church seeing itself as the new Israel. Mm. And not only with that, I think it's really important to draw out not only the the privilege that that would give, like, oh, we're the special people of God, but also, and I think this is really important for us right now to realize, is the responsibility of that. That mm-hmm. then we think that it is our responsibility to be um, affecting God's will in the world. Mm-hmm. And I think that's that's where you can get into the violence, the you know yeah. Christian nationalism te- yes. tendencies. Um, sure. So... Yeah, I think it starts with that sense of of being the new Israel. Um, yeah. And, you know, he traces his historical tracing of that through especially the 19th and early yes. 20th, the 19th, 20th and early 21st century. It's really profound. So readers, yeah. if you haven't, if you don't read the whole book, read that. That yes. was so yeah. insightful. Hey everyone, it is time once again for the C4SO Cycle of Prayer Spotlight, where we pray for the specific ministries um, that are being highlighted uh, this week in our diocesan cycle of prayer. And this week we're praying for two different ministries. One is Fellowship of Hope Mentoring in Richardson, Texas, which is led by the Reverend Noby Hendricks. And the other one is Trinity Lakeside Anglican Contemplative Community in Flower Mound, Texas, led by the Reverend Markeen Meyer. And uh, Markeen got back with us. She wasn't able to join us, uh, neither was Nobi this week, um, to actually do an interview on the podcast today. But um, uh, Markeen got back with us on a few prayer requests. Uh, she wrote and said that uh, she's encouraged by God's faithfulness to establish Trinity Lakeside as a ministry to, of soul care, to care for weary pastors, ministry leaders, and caregivers. Uh, No one could have foreseen such a great need for soul care, suffering and hardship on a global scale, but uh, the Lord did. And God brought together an ecumenical group of pastors, which is their board of directors, to create resources and opportunities for renewal and rest in Christ. And so Marquine is rejoicing that the seasonal day retreats are providing guided spaces for prayer, reflection, and conversation for ministry leaders from across the Dallas-Fort Worth metroplex. Uh, The other question I usually ask uh, leaders is challenges. What challenges are they facing right now? And Marquine said that as a new ministry community, the primary challenge is raising the financial support needed to sustain and grow the ministry. They're hoping to acquire property, which uh, will one day accommodate an abbey, chapel, living quarters, and gardens. Sounds lovely. Um, They're asking that we can, uh, that we would pray for the Lord's continued leading and provision to expand their ministry of soul care for leaders. Uh, Pray for God's mercy for uh, Marquine's husband, who is in hospice care, uh, which is uh, the primary reason that Marquine couldn't join us today. If you'd like to find out more about Trinity Lakeside Community, check out the link in the show notes or Fellowship uh, Fellowship of Hope Mentoring. Uh, Both those links uh, will be in the show notes. I I think one of the things that comes to mind for me then is that um, 
a lot of the assumptions that we have about what it means to be the church, we don't realize they come from That's that right. mindset, you know? And so it seems, well, why wouldn't we want to take responsibility for affecting the kingdom of God in the world? Like, why wouldn't we yeah. want to, you know what I mean? Like some of those things sound innocuous or even mm-hmm. uh, virtuous, mm-hmm. um, but seeing that there's this subtle thing that was at work that kind of creates this culture of privilege and exceptionalism that in our, even in, again, in our best intentioned efforts, yep. we can do violence, you know, like this is the whole history of colonialism, right? It's yeah. sort of like, hey, we're going to bring the kingdom of God, but it's like, no, actually something very different is happening right here Yeah, um, as, mm-hmm. as we engage in that. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, one of the things that, um, that Ra says is that privilege must be acknowledged, but never assumed. Yeah. Can you tease out the, dip, like, what, is, what does he mean by that? And how, how do you see that, like... What's the good work of acknowledging privilege, but not assuming mm-hmm. privilege? What does that do for us? Yeah. Um, I don't know who first said this, but um, so I, I don't even know who to quote here. But um, power that's unacknowledged is power that's abused. So mm. it, when you don't understand the power structures, then you end up just living into your privilege and not thinking about who that affects so I think that's at, at best when it can be acknowledged. When we can say, you know, I come, I, I'm wearing a collar right now because I was doing something earlier this morning. And I'm recognizing that when I come into that space, there's something that that collar represents. That's a privilege that I've been given. And yeah. if I don't acknowledge that, then, oh my gosh, it's so easy for me to um, to inadvertently hurt people or to, mm-hmm. you know, but but when I do acknowledge that, and I use the privilege that I've been given in the way that Jesus did to lift up other people, to make space for other people. Then I turn the whole power structure on its head, and I'm actually I'm using that privilege for, for kingdom means, right? So I think that's why privilege has to be acknowledged. Um, but then when it's assumed, then you get into like, well, of course I'm privileged and all the power that comes with that privilege is mine for the taking. And Mm -hmm. I need to be using that in the world. Um, and that's when you get into exceptionalism, which I didn't touch on earlier, but, um, I think that's another important piece. We'll say more about that. What, what, what do you mean by if people are unfamiliar with that term, like exceptionalism, and then how is that connected to this assumed power? Man, I, oh my gosh, I don't want to get too hard hitting here, but I just read something (laughs) else disturbing about um, an evangelical Christian leader this morning. And to be really honest, I'm broken up about it again. Mm -hmm. And I was thinking about that connection here, that when you're in a position of power, um, you can very easily assume that you're exempt from um, the, the things that other people would would need the, the ways that other people would need to live. Mm. Um, yeah. But I want to say what I, what I felt was really interesting about Israel is the way that their exceptionalism literally blinded them. I mean, I want to get at, this isn't just like I decided one day that I'm exempt. This is right. a, a process of living into my privilege in such a way that I then become blind to the fact that there are other stories and other realities and other people have needs and other people, you know, it's like a turning in on yourself so that you, you, you function as being exempt. Um, yeah. 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 Turn, you become your own point of reference. Um, yeah. You know, there's a, there's a narcissism about that. Um, but there's also an idolatry about that, right? Yeah. Where it's like mm-hmm. you, you, 
like God leaves the picture, other people leave the picture. Yeah. Um, and you're sort of making decisions all by your, all by yourself for yourself about yourself. I mean, let's just talk about King David, right? I mean, mm. the prophet Nathan had to come to him and give him a parable for him to even see what he had done. <laughs> right. Right. He, he had to. He had to see it. He had to see the wrong in the in somebody else's story. Right. Before he could actually say, "Oh, you know," before Nathan could say, "You are the man." Yeah. Yeah. yeah wow. Yeah. Um. Well, maybe we could. Um, I mean, I think I think we I think you know you mentioned the um, uh, the evangelical leader, you know, in the news. Probably, I mean, you know, I'm I'm reading between the lines there, yeah. um, and you know that is a heartbreaking story, um, and a, and a place where we see privilege and exceptionalism show up um, in a very uh, sort of grotesque and um, big way. Yeah. Um, but I wonder if there, I wonder if you can. Um, help us see maybe how these things show up in our own lives. Mm. You know, hopefully none of us are sinning in super egregious ways, but like, what are some of the warning signs we can see when Mm. maybe privilege and exceptionalism are taking root uh, Mm. in our lives, just in kind of normal, like, what do we see in our churches or how do we, how do we begin to notice when this is taking place in our relationships? Do you have any thoughts on that, Sandy? Well, what first comes to my mind is the, um, the Isaiah 58 reading from Ash Wednesday. I mm. thought it was so interesting as I meditated on that and uh, to speak to our church about it, that the ways that it, that fasting in the wrong way, the ways yeah. that that showed up. So I think that's the living in the privilege and the exceptionalism and completely forgetting the kind of ways that God lives in the world. It mm. showed up in very simple ways like gossip and mm. like, um, causing conflict just for the sake of conflict. And I just was really struck by how minute some of those things were. But like, I mean, obviously Paul has long lists of of what these things look like, but I think it it I think it starts to show up in our posture of wanting to win arguments, of wanting to justify ourselves. Um I I do think that's why I think I use the word posture yeah. um in the um, reflection on Lamentations too, because I think it is a heart posture. Because I think, of course, you can stumble upon actions that are uh, really unhelpful in a in a broken heart posture. But that's a place where God is is welcome to come and talk to you about that. And so then mm. the the recovery of that starts to bubble up. You know, like mm. um, one of the things I've struggled a lot with in the last year is being feeling really called to um, planting a church that would look like our neighborhood, which means uh, multi-ethnic, but I'm a white leader. And so I'm trying to learn in these spaces where um, it's mostly minority leaders. And I so often say the wrong thing or think the wrong thing or don't know how to act. And white fragility is showing up all over the place. And I think what's interesting is that I have noticed my posture, though, goes a long way. And I say this in all humility, literally, that when I engage in these awkward conversations, the response that I get from the minority leaders that I'm trying to learn from is, yes, keep pushing into that place of vulnerability and humility. Mm. 
because the opposite of that is powering up to get back to the triumphalism. And that's where, when you start to notice, I mean, Bishop Todd, you're so amazing talking about this. These postures of heart matter. This mm-hmm. is why we do the examine. This is why we notice, when am I feeling like I need to power up? When am I feeling like I need yeah. to impress? Those are the ways I think we start to notice. And we, we can use our privilege in those situations to navigate and then that will take us just further into privilege. Or we can choose lament over these things existing in me, a mm. posture of humility, an asking of the Holy Spirit to come and meet us. And th- that takes us in a different place, mm. in a different direction. Yeah, that's really My good. mind went a thousand different places there. No, that's really <laughs> good. Not sure no, that's if it tracked, yeah. but... <laughs> it does track, yeah. Sometimes uh, one of the things I'm trying to get used to uh, doing is just uh, being quiet and letting things sink mm. in. So. Yeah. You know, I think I think that's uh, that's a good practice. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and so um, so yeah, what you said is really helpful. Um, you mentioned this. You know, lament lament then is this God given antidote to this yeah. heady cocktail. You know, of of yeah. I was just thinking how ironic it is how on on, on a meta level that the American Church, in thinking that you know she has replaced Israel as the people mm-hmm. of God is now making the same mistakes <laughs> mm-hmm. as as Israel. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's 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 uh, deeply uh tragic and ironic. Yeah. Um but uh lament is this god-given antidote uh to the to that cocktail of privilege and excep- exceptionalism. Um can you talk a little bit about how this like how does this work? You know, I I think lament I think most of us are so unfamiliar with it that mm-hmm. it's like okay, even if I buy into the idea what do I do? Like, how do yeah. I, how do I do it? So I wonder if maybe you can talk mm-hmm. about how lament is an answer to this and an antidote to this, and maybe how it's showed up for you in your life recently mm-hmm. and, and your mm-hmm. church plant, you know, for your, your core team that you're walking with, how yeah. have you guys embraced lament um, over these past few months? Yeah. Well, a couple of things come to my mind. And one is a couple of years ago um, when I was working in a different position, we focused on lament during Lent and one of the practices that people seem to find extremely helpful was I encourage people to tell a, the story about a difficult time in their life and not put a happy ending on it. Just to tell the story. And we actually created a devotional from it and paired wow. them with lament psalms. <clears throat> and <clears throat> what was just so I mean, people just kept coming back to it over and over again, thanking each other for hearing their stories. So I think one thing is a practice of not putting on that that artificial happy ending. And mm. just like you just said about silence, just practicing listening to each other and not fixing each other um, and practice telling our own stories I've really thought about this even when, you know, I'll have weekly update or weekly check-in with my supervisor and, you know, you say, how are you? Well, if you've had a bad week, I get, if I've had a bad week, I guarantee that at the end of it, I want to say, but you know, I saw God in this and this and this way. Yeah, yeah. So I get that impulse. Of course, we want to give God the glory for what he's done. But I think a very yeah. simple practice is learning to tolerate the discomfort of pain and suffering in ourselves mm. and in other people's stories. Mm. Yeah, that's that's something, man. We're just not good at that. Yeah. So that that's brilliant. That's a really really simple thing, um, and it's something anybody can do because it's yeah. mostly refraining. 
right? It's right. mostly just not doing what you would like to do, which is help someone fix someone, yeah. uh, put a happy ending on it, like, and just leave it as it is, as a sad story, as something yeah. that I don't know what to do with, as something where we're sitting in the dust together with ashes on our head and, yeah. you know, weeping yeah. over Jerusalem to put it back in the Lamentations language. Yeah, yeah that's really helpful. Um, one of the things you say is that space, it, when we do this, when we can enter into um, lament in this way, that space is opened up for empathy, mutuality, and solidarity. Um, and I loved you pulling those words together. I wonder if you could just talk briefly as we wrap up here, like why those words are so important for our path mm. forward. Empathy, mm. mutuality, solidarity. Yeah. So empathy, I think uh, a friend of mine likes to say, it's really hard to hate someone who's sitting in front of you when you're really listening to their story. Mm-hmm. So that just sense of um of identification, of listening long enough until you you connect that, oh, oh, yeah, I hear that, that thing that I've experienced in you. I think that's the start of empathy. And I think that's where lament, I think lament does that because it gets us to an honest place and then it allows us to hear the honest place in someone else. So I think that's where empathy comes in. Hmm. Um, even though someone's experience can be so different from ours, if we can sit in that place of truth-telling together, yeah. we find a common a common place um, to be. Uh, mutuality, I've thought so much about this in church planting and how, uh, there's just way too much to say, but <laughs> um, it's connected to empathy and it's connected to that sense of everybody has a story and everybody has something to bring to the table, um, some way that they see God, some way that they've experienced the world. And as I listen long enough and I'm in that posture of humility, then I'm able to truly apprehend what it is in that other person that brings life into our relationship. Um, I'm not just thinking about what I have to offer. I'm not just thinking about what how I can fix their situation. Um, yeah. I, I this brilliant friend who talks about mutuality and she tries to practice it in really simple ways. Um, and one thing is like, so she's trying to get a, a table that's way too big into a door and somebody walks by and it's, it's a tall, she's a, she's a tall woman, but you know, she's five foot 10 or something. When a big guy comes and he, um, is gonna try to get, get it into the door for her. But he says to her, like, let's figure this out together. Like, how do you think that we could get into the door together? It would be really easy mm-hmm. for him to come into the situation and just pick up the table and, mm-hmm. and maneuver it in. But that opportunity to join in, um, mm-hmm. that mutuality of seeing that she, it's her table, it's her, it's her building, she probably has an idea of how to get it in the door. It's just, that's an imaginative framework for me about mm-hmm. how sitting together with this thing that's bigger than us yes. actually opens up more creativity for how mm-hmm. to move forward. Yeah. Um, so that's how I think about mutuality. Cool. And then solidarity, uh, that has to me a lot to do with just allowing the voices. He talks about everybody's voice comes to the table or something like that. Mm. Um, when you hear the silenced voices and mm. then you recognize the the opportunity and really the responsibility you have to yeah. stand with um yeah. I think lament really opens up that space because you start to hear what you weren't willing to hear before. Yeah. Yeah, that's so important. 
Well, Bishop Todd, any final thoughts or questions? I was struck um, looking at um, those chapters uh, in Ra's book by, I don't, I, no, I'm not going to remember which chapter it was, but I think it was the last chapter in this section, um, showing how when we choose lament, it's in that place that we discover God's fidelity to his own character. Yeah. Mm. That really stuck out to me. Like if we choose the path of power, it kind of like, I don't mean this in like theological tight way. Um, like I'm not questioning omnipresence, but it's like if we choose the path of power, it's like it sort of banishes God. Mm. And when we choose lament, that creates the space in which God can show us his fidelity to his own character. I just love that phrase. Yeah. So, so it's not like just merely an instrumental fidelity to the problem, the thing that mm. we're lamenting. Mm. But, but the hope, to go back to what we were saying earlier, yes. is God being with us. And the hope is him being, uh, having fidelity um, to his own, his own character. Mm. Yeah. Um, so I just quickly think of like, you know, when Peter says, no, you're not going to go to the cross, you know, get thee behind mm. me, Satan. Sort of like, you know, it banishes what God's doing. Or yeah. when they James and John wanted to call down fire from heaven or when mm -hmm. Peter wanted to pick up the power of his sword in the garden. Mm -hmm. that, that makes connecting with God difficult. But when we choose mourning, grief, repentance, humility, empathy, mutuality, mm. solidarity, that it feels to me like that creates a space in, when, in which we get to experience that great, great gift that Ra, Ra was talking about. Of mm. We get to experience God's fidelity to his own character. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a, that's a great thought. I think to end us on mm. that, that's how the hope bubbles up as you were saying earlier, Sandy, yeah. like the hope and it's, and then it's a gift from God. Mm. It just strikes me that there's an anxiety that makes us want to hold on to power yeah. that makes us want to manage outcomes and letting go, there's a risk we feel we're taking in lament and yeah. that we're letting go of these outcomes. I don't know how hope is going to show up for me. Yeah. I, I don't know how God's going to uh, um, show himself faithful in this situation. Yeah. Um, but we, we enter into it trusting that um, this is creating the space for God to show his fidelity to his own character yeah. as we do this. It's beautiful. Yeah. Well, Sandy, thanks so much yeah, for joining thank you, us Sandy. today. Thanks, yeah, guys. this was lovely. Just, uh, Sanders are my heroes. You're one of them. <laughs> Thank you, Bishop <laughs> yes. Todd. <laughs> yes. Um, listeners, you can still participate with us. It's not too late. I believe in you. You can get caught up if, you're, if you haven't been reading the book and you would like to. Um, there's links uh, in the show notes that you can buy it from InterVarsity at a discount. Uh, you can gather a group. You can read alone, um, whatever you'd like. Um, but check that out if you would like to follow along with us. It's also fine if you're not reading the book and you're just enjoying these conversations. Mm -hmm. um, that's fine, too. Um, there's a reading schedule in the show notes. Next week, we'll go over Lamentations 3, this uh, third section of Ra's book. Um, I wanted to pray this prayer to end. This is um, part of the Black Liturgies uh, project um, that we've been posting on social media um, from Cole Arthur Riley. And um, this, this one uh, is about rest, and it's about the God who rests. And I was just making some connections here between lament. The, lament is a way of resting, I think, mm -hmm. resting from our own efforts to control and manage all of that kind of thing. And so um, would you guys pray with me as we end here? God who rests, it is difficult for us to imagine a Christ who, having all power and capacity to heal others, still 
at times walked away, who napped unapologetically in the face of danger. Give us the courage to rest, the holy audacity to do absolutely nothing at all. And as we do, allow us to hold vigil for the tombs of this world while honoring that we are neither savior nor slave. Grant us a slowness that allows us to feel what hurts and makes healing possible. Let our rest be our liberation. Amen. Amen. Thanks again for listening to this episode of the C4SO podcast. We hope you enjoyed our conversation. Email us your thoughts and suggestions at connect at c4so.org.